0: Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have a full panel, which means Rebecca Lynch is sitting across from me. She is from the Wisconsin Working Families Party. Good to see you, Rebecca. I'm
1: very caffeinated this morning, Matt.
0: <laughs> yeah, I certainly am. <laughs> Robert Craig is also with us. Robert's the executive director here at Citizen Action. Welcome, Robert.
2: Good day, everyone.
0: So we have a lot of topics. Uh as everybody knows, we love to talk about state-level issues and things that are going on in Wisconsin, and we're going to do that. We're going to talk a little bit about the spring elections. We're going to talk about what's going on in health care, including that ridiculous junk science report that the Republicans and their right-wing friends put out this week. Uh, we'll also talk a little bit more about uh, a number of things Governor Evers is doing. But before we do that, we are going to talk about some news that broke. Rebecca, I'm going to look to you to lead the conversation here, but that um, we're all sort of learning about Thursday morning a little bit more about this gentleman who was targeting a lot of progressive elected officials and others, and this uh, is huge news. Uh, tell us more.
1: Yeah, so, you know, we tape on Thursday morning, so information is probably still coming out, and by the time you hear this, I'm sure there'll be some new news, but, you know, the federal authorities have arrested a Coast Guard uh, by the name of Paul Hassan, 49 years old, uh, who's being charged with domestic terrorism? Uh, he's someone who has been, you know, self-radicalized, I guess, over the last 30 years in um, white supremacist literature and theories. You know, they say he's been seeking answers um, from white supremacy on on how to how to see the world, I suppose. So, super radicalized person was arrested. Um, they found in his basement apartment in Silver Spring, Maryland, something like. 15 automatic weapons there was a list and this is something that's in a lot of the headlines but a list of uh people like kamala harris or cory booker who are running for president or folks who are on msnbc you know cable news personalities, a hit list but it was clear that not only um you know celebrities but generally that this was someone who was looking to murder a lot of people and i just you know something that a lot of news uh sources have been reporting that i just want to say here is that in the first sentence of uh, the court documents filed against Mr. Hassan, the government says that he was planning to, quote, murder innocent civilians on a scale rarely seen in this country. So, you know, this is breaking news. We'll see. We'll see what comes out. So
0: you might say, well, why are we talking about this, Robert? Let's talk about the context here and Rebecca about just right wing radio and the whole thing that has been stirring this up. Oh, I can't, even, I can't even talk today. <laughs> Too much coffee. And so we, that, we think this is important to talk about. Robert?
2: Yeah. And I'm sure what I'm going to say will be misinterpreted by the right and misused uh, because they, they're self-interested. But white supremacism, neo-nationalism are branches of the right, and they are more extreme variants of the same basic emotions and values. that are being stirred up on Fox News by President Trump, by the legislative majorities in Wisconsin, uh, by by right-wing radio here and elsewhere all the time. And it's grounded in this idea of blaming groups of people, usually people who are less powerful, for all of your problems and dehumanizing them, vilifying them, and creating immense uh, anger for political gain. And so you have a man here who is a Marine. Obviously, he, he most likely will turn out to have mental health issues. But there is a context here. There were people who were uh, basically creating the conditions for this kind of fire to burn. It is not random. He doesn't want to kill anyone. He wanted to kill Nancy Pelosi, a number of other Democratic officials. He wanted to kill every talk show host you ever heard of on CNN and MSNBC. That is not random. Okay. And I think the right, and there are responsible people on the right, who actually simply disagree with me on values, need to own this and understand that that, gain, that political gain based on vilification, dehumanization, and the stereotyping of cat, whole categories of people, saying in essence that if you are a migrant coming from Central America, you were some evil thug coming to hurt the country, that is them, not me, that that has consequences. And this really is... This kind of violence and 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 hatred is what leads ultimately to fascism. We're not near that near th- that yet, but I really do think that Donald Trump is a proto-fascist and that he plays with the same emotions that just hasn't led all the way to the death camps yet.
1: Yeah, we'll see. You know, we'll we'll get more information as it comes out. But really disturbing and definitely follows a trend of you know increasing domestic terrorism um, in this country. That is you know, certainly of of the Spain. Um, So I I don't know. And
2: and the the numbers are overwhelming. The threat of violence is not from Muslims. It is not from immigrants uh, of, of, of Latin American, Mexican, Central American origins. It is not from liberals. It is actually from the far right. And it needs to be understood the numbers on this are overwhelming, but the media frame doesn't even make it clear because that would be seen as partisan on the one hand. On the other hand, no. What Sean Hattie says on the radio and TV with his huge megaphone every day to stir up hatred and anger for political gain actually, do, actually does encourage people on the far end of the right-wing extreme to violence.
0: What I hear you, Robert, doing here is really calling out in some ways some of the people who are like never-Trumpers in some ways that were appalled by what they saw as this fascist side or sexist or whatever and really you know, were appalled and and kind of have – I don't want to say have gone away, but like – There needs to be a reinvigoration as we head into this presidential cycle, right? Where is the moral compass of folks on that side? Are they going to continue to run with a president who plays into this and, you know, a movement that is built on this white supremacy and and triggers this anger? You know,
2: Charlie Sykes, I could respect what he's done more. People know now he's gone from right-wing radio host, dominant one in Wisconsin, to MSNBC commentator is very limited to creating Trump, and it's still not owned what he did throughout for decades in Milwaukee to create a divide between the white suburbs and the people of color in Milwaukee for political gain on the right and to make Scott Walker governor. Until I hear him talk about that and own that, I tend to think this is opportunism, but at least he's part of the way there. He's expressing just in a narrow way, talking about Trump, some kind of different kind of conservatism that could become more predominant. But you gotta take on the whole thing root and branch, not just it's not just Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a cre is made possible because of this forty year right wing movement that created the fertile soil for it.
0: All right. This was useful in terms of reminding ourselves of like, okay, what the real battle is, like just sort of the broader uh, battle that we're in, so to that, let's transition back to our state. We're going to get hyper-local now. Let's talk <laughs> about spring elections. Um, so this was a interesting primary in that there wasn't a statewide primary, so you really didn't, a, a number of folks didn't actually have anyone to vote for, and so it, it was incredibly low turnout, um, except in some places, right, where there were some hot races. So, for example, in Green Bay, huge mayor's race, uh, some resources spent, a number of candidates that actually really campaigned, and congratulations. Goes out to Eric Genrich, who's a co-op member up there. He uh, got what, I think it was 40, I don't have it in front of me, 43% 43 of the vote uh, in a very contested primary, so uh, that's an incredibly strong position
2: against a candidate heavily funded by the Republican Party. so there's a very clear choice between a progressive Democrat and a straight out Republican
0: so folks that are up in that area this is a really critical race because we haven't had a progressive mayor in Green Bay uh, in my lifetime. Uh, I qu- I would challenge people to to hearken back to maybe when if when and if they're ever with somebody as progressive as Eric Enrich. As mayor of Green Bay, so it's a huge opportunity, um, and people know that's a really important area. Uh, political people, there's money that always gets dumped in there. It's one of the top five most important areas nationally because it tends to swing wildly back and forth often uh, at the top of the ticket. Uh, so it's an area, for example, Obama carried that general region, but then Walker would carry by like twenty points. So, um, so. In addition to Green Bay, there was also a mayor's race in Oshkosh. Maybe a little less splashy, but uh, congratulations go out to Lori Palmieri. We, uh, Citizen Action, endorsed her, and um, she's the deputy mayor there. And again, this is going to be a real uh, difference between two sides. So uh, folks in the Oshkosh area, get involved with Lori. And then also here in Milwaukee, Rebecca, give us a,
1: a super quick super yeah.
0: quick update on uh, a really important school board race. Well,
1: turnout was really low, really messed with my targeting. But I, uh, the <laughs> candidate who was endorsed by the Working Families Party and Citizen Action and Voses and Block and AFSCME and the Teachers Union and a whole bunch of other folks won with 65% of the vote. So she now advances against um, another opponent um, who... Uh, you know, it said in the journal Sentinel, she's not sure how she feels about vouchers. So that's kind of like a clear choice down in Bayview in the southern part of the city of Milwaukee.
0: Yeah, and there will be a number of other races. We'll, we'll, at some point on the show, we'll talk more about what's at stake in, in Milwaukee Public Schools. And y- you mentioned it there. I mean, charters are growing, and they're a huge issue, and, and and there's real fault lines in these elections around charters. We will talk about that more down the road. Uh, we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. On the back end of this, we're going to talk a little bit about the states Supreme Court race, and then we're going to get into some of the what's been going on here at the state level around the budget and other things. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are going to talk about the state Supreme Court race. Um, it is um, this Hagedorn character. Uh, Rebecca just seems to, every week there's a new story uh about him so why don't you give us an update and again to remind our listeners citizen action has an, and and has endorsed uh and, ju- and the working families party has endorsed judge lisa neubauer uh, in the state supreme court race uh, but <laughs> please tell us more about the latest news
1: well you know i think the the big political news of the last 24 hours is that the large realtors association is withdrawing its support from Judge Hagedorn's campaign. Ooh, I didn't
2: hear that. The,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's going around on Facebook right now. Yeah. I, this I,
2: is a very conservative they're group. Very, too. very influential public politics, underrated. Remember that when you think about realtors, by the way.
1: Really, really big deal. I think a lot of folks are um, understandably pretty shocked. Uh, and the statement, there was a short statement they put out that said, you know, we endorse this candidate because of their views on various issues that are important to us. Uh, however, we can't stand by him based on other views that are not related to real estate. So I imagine that you know has to do with much of what we. You we've mean re-
2: gay people buy thing buy real estate? Hmm.
1: <laughs> Who
2: knew? <laughs> Who would have thought? So wow. yeah,
1: really really big news, and you know I think what we've seen since that initial news broke is that Judge Hagedorn has just kind of continued to dig himself into a deeper hole. And so you know hopefully this is the trend that continues of folks who would normally support a right-wing Supreme Court justice kind of backing away from this race. Hey
2: Matt, no. I think you have more yeah. and it's not in the yeah. grounds of, of reasonable people can disagree, is it?
0: Yeah, no, look, I mean H- Hagedorn just this week we found out that he received more than $3000 over 3 years uh, for giving speeches to a legal organization that has supported criminalizing sodomy and sterilizing transgender people and this is on top of the fact that he's already stated after the supreme court ruling that you know he felt that it was going to lead lead towards sodomy which by the way just hasn't happened right so like Uh, even beyond how outrageous the statements are it hasn't there's no empirical evidence of that it's not not only
2: it's not only horrible right and bigoted it actually—remember I talked about proto-fascism earlier? It's actually—it's eugenics. It's getting close to—I mean, leaving aside whether or not that helps the race at all, it literally goes along to actual fascism. My God.
0: And by the way, right, like if anyone's like, oh, that stuff he said about sodomy," that was a that was decade ago. Uh, no, Guy is a founder of a school that started in 2016 that basically if you're gay, you're, you're or kicked your out, or your gay. parents are gay. Like, it's—this guy is awful, uh, and is I mean I think fundamentally unqualified actually to even be a judge, um,
2: okay.
0: but anyway. So folks, so April second is this election. Judge yeah. Lisa Newbauer.
2: Quick things on that: do not take this for granted because most voters will not know this. So we still have to actually win this race. And second, moving forward, because I think if we do our do everything we need to do, we can we will we can win this race. Um, our current approach to a judicial office, which is you run as this objective judge, is only going to work this well if you have these flawed candidates. This is the arrogance of Walker thinking I can make my former lawyer Supreme Court justice, regardless of his background. The far right and the, and the manufacturers and commerce will be back with judges where, that are stealth judges that have these views, but they're not on the record very soon uh, after they hopefully lose this race.
1: My prediction for April is that turnout is going to be much lower than it was last year. So I think, you know, your point is even more strongly, you know, held that, like, they're, we're really going to not take this for granted. Because when you have low turnout elections, particularly in the spring, that generally means a more conservative electorate. So all,
2: all the gay bashers can come out and support their guy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, right wing conservatives come out and vote no matter what. Yeah.
0: So again, April 2nd is the. The general election, um, and there's going to be a lot of opportunities to get involved. Um, get involved locally uh, in your community, and almost every good local progressive is going to be also supporting and getting out and talking about Judge Neubauer, too. So please get out, Canvas, phone Bank. Let's Let's make sure that our side is getting out, that progressives and people who share our values are showing up on April 2nd. All right, so we are going to switch gears and talk a little bit about what's going on in Madison, because there's a lot going on. Um, Governor Evers is pulling together his budget, and we'll be announcing it soon. What, next week already?
2: Yeah, uh, 28th. 28 oh, Wow,
0: next week. Yeah, yeah folks. So... We'll be hearing a lot more. There, We'll, we'll talk a little bit later about a, a new piece uh, he, is, he unveiled this week around women's health. But um, we have to talk about Medicaid because this is huge. We talk about it a lot. It's super important. And there was a couple of key pieces of things that happened this week. One is the Republicans and two very conservative right-wing think tanks released a junk report this week that tried to make the argument that accepting the Medicaid uh, expansion for the federal money for BadgerCare expansion would cost the state, I think it was like 60, $600 million. Pick your ridiculous figure. Um, and then that was used essentially the next day to have three very conservative state legislators basically declare that it's dead. They're going to kill it. It's not going to happen. Robert, I'm sure uh, this—you uh, you disagree with these—basically, by the way, three white old guys basically declaring that most people, working families, are not going to get access to more affordable, quality health care. Well, healthcare. and
2: essentially Ridiculous. Freedom Caucus types, they voted against the Republican bait-and-switch pre-existing condition bill in the lame duck because— it what pre existing discrimination is something that Obamacare deals with. So these this is the group that is now being quoted by the Milwaukee General Sentinel as somehow being an, an arbiter of what might happen in this budget fight. Uh, with no differentiation of exactly where they are in their caucus, that they're extreme in their own caucus. Uh, but be that as it may. It shouldn't surprise anyone that the right-wing infrastructure has more money than God. Now, I, I don't know about that phrase, guy. God has lots of money? Just he has lots of power, so he doesn't need money. He or she, I'm guessing. Uh, just thinking about our use of language there. Uh, but a Koch brother, Bradley-funded organizations, including a UW Madison professor who has a think tank on campus, which seems to be a right-wing think tank of some kind, because it did the Foxconn is great study that got panned. That worked and out it was well. Discredited. And so, um, literally, it came out with this junk science, as Matt pointed out, but it got a lot of media attention. So, we're quoted in Associated Press in the Wisconsin State Journal. Apparently, the journal Sentinel has a uh, ban on calling us, so we're not quoted <laughs> there. Uh, if, if anyone's listening, they can find out for me. And so, but it's been for a while. And one the Capital Times, for some reason, isn't calling anymore, which is really weird. But to be that as it may, Associated Press is the story in most papers uh, the thing has this canard kind of argument that spending more on health care and has mistakes in its references. Donna Freedson, who's a really good professor at UW-Madison, debunked it and said that it's, it's not. It's based on faulty premises uh, that, in fact, it's um, and, and that have been discredited. We looked at and put in the media that there are a series of studies that shows taking the Medicaid expansion money lowers healthcare premiums for everyone else because by covering because what happens now is the people who are really sick are the ones who buy coverage on their own and then that that increases rates because you you lose the people who are healthier uh, when you make healthcare less accessible. Uh, but literally, if you look at the report just from kind of a common sense sort of uh, way they say for example that's going to cost a lot more if people have insurance because they'll go to emergency rooms and they'll get care and so that's part of it right in other words not taking into account and this is what Donna Friedson points out what are the costs of the people not getting care that's not in the study okay so this is like classic right-wing stuff where they're going to find some way to and even their argument itself taken its own terms is is not is not sustainable, but it it just doesn't even take into account the fact that giving people access to health care and preventing diseases is a lot cheaper for them, a lot more humane, et cetera, et cetera, not in in the least. Uh, But also this canard, and this is what we have to get to, and this is why we need to move towards Medicare for All that the providers, that is the hospitals and the specialists and the high-priced providers and the pharmaceutical company are underpaid by Medicaid, and therefore that will cost everyone else more. When the research shows, this is overwhelming research, a third of medical spending in the U.S. is not value-added, it's waste and that they ought to be able to provide care at the rates that Medicare provides. And when they tell you, we lose 60 cents at every dollar for people on Medicaid, the question is, why do all the hospitals take care? Is it because they're great charitable institutions or because they're full of it and they just want as much money from us as possible? Oh. And that's why health care is too expensive, and we're never going to take it on if we continue to say, Weirdly, from allegedly prudent conservatives who, who are fiscally responsible, give the hospitals any amount they want because that's what the, that's what the, the what's underlying this report. But what's scary is um, how much coverage this got. Though I will give um, the Associated Press and the State Journal kudos for putting in the debunking arguments very strongly, so that it, it wasn't great coverage for them there. It was better coverage for them. Than the Journal Sentinel, which is a little, which is scary and disturbing.
0: So. There you got not only a breakdown, a policy breakdown, but you got a media a media a content critique. And,
2: of course, it came out <laughs> a week before the budget address <laughs> that will be built in part around uh, taking the money for Medicaid, Medicare expansion.
0: Okay, we got to take a break. But, folks, in a nutshell, right, like people want access to affordable health care it is extremely popular they are would even be willing to pay if we took on the face of it 600 million dollars to expand access to care so these guys are completely out to lunch and by the way this is the same squad that believes it was great to give five billion, four billion four billion dollars to foxconn but 600 million for health care too much you're listening to the battleground wisconsin we're citizen action we'll be right back Welcome back. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking about a number of things going on in Madison. We just uh, discussed the Medicaid uh, expansion and what the Republicans are doing. Uh, but again, these 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 senators have basically declared that they're not going to expand Badger Care. Um, wanted to talk about a couple other things. Uh, Evers announced that he will be proposing 28 million in the budget for women's health, and in particular, infant mortality reduction. Um, And another thing that's very interesting is that he would allow Planned Parenthood to be eligible to get, I think it's Title V block grant money, but it's essentially resources that Walker and the Republicans took away their eligibility uh, for. So, some really important things here around health care, particularly women's health, that uh, the governor is coming out in, in terms of supporting.
1: Yeah, you know, I think this is um, clearly becoming a theme uh, in this first hundred days of the Evers administration, you know, whether it's expanding access to dental care, expanding health care, expanding access to women's health. Um, you know, I think, and of course, expanding education, uh, opportunities and, and funding for education, including for children with special needs, you know, uh, this, ele- making sure that the public health is being addressed, uh, for folks across the state. And really like we have such a long way to go in Wisconsin. I mean, there are con- like plenty of countries in the world that, you know, you would think would have worse health care than we do here in Wisconsin. It's just not the case. And I've seen stats about infant mortality in, you know, cities like Racine, but I'm sure in rural areas of Wisconsin as well that rival that of the Gaza Strip. Right. Just like really like frightening statistics. And so uh, really exciting about this. It reminds me of a tweet that I saw from Cecile Richards uh, last week where, you know, the, uh, the president had announced a, quote, national emergency uh, to get his funding for the border wall when Congress denied him that funding, um, which is, you know, of questionable constitutionality and will be challenged in the courts. And, you know, she tweeted out a few real national emergencies, and the first two she noted were, one, women today are 50% more likely to, than their mothers to die in childbirth, which is just Appalling. Appalling. And then the second was black women are three to four times as likely as white women to die in childbirth. And so I think when we talk about infant mortality, when we talk about, you know, women um, and and childbirth in terms of, of, you know, their health, we have such a long way to go in this entire country, but absolutely in Wisconsin, where our public health is just, like, so appalling and we just don't have the resources. You
0: know, we often joke about Tony Evers' inability sometimes to be very gregarious. or But sometimes he, he just simply nails it with just some simplicity. He said, we can't have healthy communities without healthy women and babies. It's really, really true, given the statistics you just talked about. And by the way, this is something we talk a lot about, like how do we get people in urban communities, cities, Allied with folks more rurally. This is it, right? Like, he's not talking about that, but he is because healthy communities, both rurally and in cities, if we do not have healthy women, healthy babies, healthy children, it just, we're kidding ourselves. And so um, I agree with you. This this uh, connects into the dental stuff. I think the
2: right wing response has been excluded from the media (laughs) coverage. Uh So let me try to make it. Uh, Using Walker language, I'd say we can't have healthy communities without. (laughs) responsible women and babies yeah. who are not dependent on the government.
1: Um you know I think there was news that broke last week um generally about statistics in the state where we have such a dearth of OBGYNs yeah. um that I think it's like we have one women's health physician for every 10,000 women in wisconsin which is just like shocking and i immediately thought of the governor because i thought of the stats around dental health um and so i think you know this is um really important investment in our communities but man it is just like so bleak when you think about it
2: rebecca if that's the uh (laughs) dictates of the market then so be it the market's decided
1: (laughs) Well, i mean i just
0: again i think this is this is smart to get out on this um you know, we could obviously be doing a ton, ton more, but he is at least having the right conversations, starting to put the resources in the right areas. Uh, and this was smart to get out this week, especially given what they're doing on Medicaid and this ridiculous push they're making. And c- could I say yeah. something
1: quickly on that? Yeah. Just uh, Since we've been zooming in and out of local and national yeah. the whole yeah. show, um, I was quoted in an article in Vox this week um, on the morning that uh, Senator Sanders announced his second bid for president. Uh, and in it, you know, the the thing that they quoted about me was me noting the impact that his success in his last presidential run has had in the state on, on issues, local issues. And so I think this is one of the things where I think we've seen more and more establishment Democrats kind of embrace ideas like, uh, you know, healthcare is being a right. And so hopefully that's going to, you know, play out locally. And I'm interested to see the impact that the presidential election that is now like very much underway will have on our local debates. But I'm excited to kind of see that.
2: No, and I think you're right. I think uh, upping the ante was a strong kind of progressive vision, actually, leverages a lot more boldness. Up- down the whole spe- up and down the whole, the whole spectrum of the Democratic Party.
1: And I would be remiss if I just didn't quickly mention that uh, Senator Sanders also announced when he um, announced his campaign this week his hire for national political director. And it's a colleague of mine, uh Ana Lilia Mejia, who is the uh, state director for the New Jersey Working Families Party. She is now going to be leaving her post to be the national political director for the Sanders campaign. So I just wanted to well, congratulate great. her.
0: Yeah. yeah, no, that's really great. And um, there was another... Other As long as we're talking about this news that came out since we last recorded, is, it's now public Baldwin is not going to run for president. But it was very interesting. Uh, There was a great article about talking about how, well, she may not be running for president. People may want to look at how she ran as a template for how you win a presidential campaign. And one of the key things they talked about was that she put health care front and center and that she talked about what people cared about, right? So pre-existing conditions, the right to health care, but that she had the vision of Medicare for all. And that was something that while she she may not have been always talking about or running ads about, it was out there for the base to understand her core values about where she stood, and it's why the base fought for Tammy Baldwin. And yet it was still a wildly popular issue. I think
2: it was even... Further than that, she defended Medicare yep. for all on Mike Goucher in the debate okay now, what she did that's smart is she did not get bogged down to the details of whether it 's Canadian style or British style or German style, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. She held on to the vision, then she talked about concrete things that could occur right away, and that is actually the right blueprint and template because i don't I know some of the people of the uh, that are on the the strong progressive end of the spectrum may not agree with me on this, I am telling you we are not getting full Medicare for all in the first 100 days of a new presidency, so we're going to have to do it in chunks, and we can have a longer conversation at some point. And so it's important for leaders to hold on to the vision. We'll never get there without the vision, but understand that there's going to be a series of steps. We didn't get Social Security full as now right away in the 1930s. People forget that it took over a decade to build it out. It's like that. And so, but you 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 hold on to the vision. You're clear. You don't get defensive, but then you also talk about specific big steps you can take that ultimately lead to that end um, over over a number of years.
0: So, with that, I want to also make sure that before we go to break, we mentioned uh, Governor Evers had his first veto this week, and it was the first piece of legislation. That came across his desk. And to remind everybody, it was their tax cut. We've talked quite a bit about the dueling tax cuts um, and their differences. So uh, Evers, of course, says he will have his own tax cut in the budget um, in a different way. We we talked about it in detail about how that will be funded. But nonetheless. Neither
2: inspiring. The Republican one less inspiring. Uh, Funded on a one-time surplus, which may not exist now, but certainly is not in the next budget. So classic. Let's bankrupt the government, then we'll have cuts in education that aren't our fault because there's no money. How'd that happen?
1: Can I say something that struck me about this veto that I liked? Um, you know, he said one of the reasons why he vetoed this is that he was disappointed. It's like teacher Tony Evers, yes. very disappointed. I know, <laughs> oh, um, but, but I love it though. <laughs> um, I, that he was disappointed that there was not saw a proposal that came to his desk with bipartisan support yeah. and I think that that is really important when we think about how the next you know couple of years are going to play out where we've got divided government it is no longer Republicans being able to force yeah. things through with only Republicans on them and so I think that um I thought that was a really important point that he made and I, I was glad he made it
0: yeah it's well it's literally like the kindergarten teacher reminding <laughs> uh, okay <laughs> let's go through uh, what was it uh, the bill on the hill and remind you exactly how this process works <laughs> and I do have a veto. Um so anyways, we are gonna take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Uh we will we have one well, more I, segment. Oh Robert's got more, he's gotta get in. Quick. Well no, I was just gonna we I was yeah. sure
2: say that uh Fitzgerald says because where he's putting his line on the sand, just to remember is that they can't t- touch the Manufacturing Agriculture oh. Tax Credit, yeah. which was a huge tax giveaway with no, you can use the money to outsource jobs, just like Kimberly Clark is using uh, the uh, that fed Trump tax cut downside size. You made, you made uh, corporations manufacturing tax-free no matter what. So capping that at $300,000, which makes sure, of course, that all the little farmers, they claim that benefit will not be harmed, only big people will be harmed. Uh, Fitzgerald says he will not raise taxes on the state's job creators. Of course, I thought the job creators were teachers and folks like that that are creating future prosperity. But no, apparently it's the big corporations that simply want to pay nothing back uh, to the society and the state and the, and the, and not whatsoever for all the benefits we provide them.
0: Yep. So apparently that's why we can't have Medicaid expansion. With that, we're going to take a break. here at the Battlegrounds. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're going to spend the last segment talking a little bit more globally around sort of the state of our economy and just sort of the way our economic politics works. Uh, and we want to talk about what's been going on with Amazon. In particular, Amazon and their CEO getting very upset and deciding to pull out of a uh, Queens, uh, and sort of wanted to talk. We So what we want to talk about is the context and how this is being discussed, particularly by the right, uh, but also within within the Democratic Party. We're seeing this idea where they're starting to try to point to the idea that if we ask for there to actually be standards, much less that we would even give this money away to a corporation, that somehow them leaving is the fault of progressives or the left, or in this case, as Amazon, they're trying to blame AOC. <laughs> if As AOC is, was responsible. But this is a broader context we want to talk about because of Foxconn. And we expect this to be the framework with which the Republicans and the right here in the state try to portray what we believe will be the inevitable You know, failing of this Foxconn deal and to try to blame it on Evers and on progressives for actually saying, like, uh, we're going to actually monitor this and try to track this and somehow that that would be wrong. And before we step off, I just want to remind everybody. That analogy that they're going to try to set up, as phony as it is, remember the Foxconn deal was like seven or eight times worse in terms of the amount of money giving away than even and Amazon. The, and the so, per job, et yeah, just, So they're not even on a par, but nonetheless, this is the frame.
2: Look, I know Rebecca knows a ton about New York politics, so I want to say something brief and kick it to her to hear about it, because you have de Blasio versus AOC, among other things here, right? And Cuomo in the mix. Uh, but. This is a huge deal. This was half the time spent on uh, Meet the Press by, t- by uh, 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 Chris Todd. I was going to say Tim Russert, but that's yeah. the previous host, no longer with us. Uh, and so it's it being framed in terms of the left... Uh, taking over the democratic party and making it somehow unviable it's being framed by the right as proof the whole democratic party is nuts it's also being framed as part of the civil war supposedly between mainline democrats and the bernie left so this is a huge deal and it does divide progressives as i mentioned before so you know new york politics rebecca please share with us your thoughts
1: Well, you know, it it was a really interesting convergence of forces that um, really ended up taking down this deal that like in the past in New York, I think really would have been a done deal. I think, you know, you mentioned Governor Cuomo, who's really someone who's pretty, pretty far on the right, actually, in a lot of things other than what some call like social issues. Um, And Mayor de Blasio, who's progressive in so far in so much as like most elected officials can be progressive. You know, he's still like running a city and like. Doing it through this this frame that I think is not quite caught up to you know you mentioned um, Congresswoman Ocasio Cortez but like generally I think to to my generation and and how we see see the political landscape. Um, but yeah, it was a convergence of forces that I think is really interesting. You know, one that cannot be denied is the grassroots. And I think that when you think about eminent domain and the sheer amount of construction, there's a lot of parallels to Foxconn. I mean, I met with a really great candidate for school board um, for the Racine Unified School District uh, last week, and he was telling me about his district. And he's like, well, you know, half of it is gone now. And I was like, what? He's like, oh yeah, I don't have to knock on this whole half because no one lives there anymore. <laughs> and he was like explaining to me that half of the school board district has been has been bought by Foxhound. and people do not live there anymore. So entire communities kind of moved, um, which I'll <laughs> we'll talk more about in a second, uh, and then organized labor. Um, but what was interesting is that organized labor was split. So we had, as we often see with economic development, the construction unions, but also part of SEIU, um, a union called 32BJ, which represents service workers, which were supporting the deal because they had cut their own deals for their membership um, with Amazon for certain parts of the, of the um, operation to be unionized. But then the retail workers... And the Teamsters teaming up and opposing the deal um, and highlighting that they did not have you know labor peace that there was not an assurance from Amazon that they would support unionization efforts and that was really in a in a town like New York um, it was a final death knell That's for a
0: sure in New York yeah it, it,
1: it was it, it is and it isn't it's really interesting you know over the years. Um, there's there's this real divide within labor in New York about, you know, something is built uh, with union construction, you know, is that a union job or do we also have to have what's called the permanent jobs? I don't really like that. But, you know, the, the jobs on the, the other end. We have the end.
0: same divide here in Milwaukee, right? Like it, it's been an issue with a lot of projects and some projects will be built with union Sometimes the painters and the glazers and the drywallers go non-union. Sometimes they're union. And then you talked about the end use. The end use there's, is virtually all non-union, and there's virtually little done. But there's been some efforts here and locally and, and, and other places to per- start
2: to look. End use for all of you yep. statewide means permanent permanent jobs. jobs. So a, like but in, in the industry, that's yeah, like you build so art. you build a giant
0: building with a hotel or whatever, and then yeah. there's a lot of like subways and there's stores and all the stuff in there. It all goes non-union. It all is generally service sector, low-wage jobs. And so there's been a real debate about how do you start to elevate these standards if we're going to give away insane amounts of development money, which for years it seemed like there was no alternative, right? There now appears to be an alternative to that model, which is like, you know, we just say no, and then let's invest that money.
2: A couple things. Mayor de Blasio is, uh, and he's a tall man, I look up to him, Um, he is... He's saying, think, trying to say a constructive middle ground thing as a as a strong progressive, but also someone governing, that's being ignored even when he's on the shows and makes his case. He is saying that he thinks it was a good deal that was well negotiated, but he also thinks that uh, that community activists and and progressives every right to critique it. And that it's Amazon's fault, not theirs. They're just exercising their first member rights, and it's part of democracy. Being so thin-skinned and going home. And he also says it's a problem with inequality. Amazon is so big, has so much of the national retail market now that one guy, Jeff Bezos, can make this decision on his own, and that's a problem with our whole structure of our economy. And begging just one person to bring this many jobs one place versus another place, and and pitting all of these committees against each other. Remember the unseemly bidding war that Milwaukee and others were part of, where every city you can think of made its bid for Amazon. So that's one thing, and he's totally right, but the question is, how does New York doing this deal change that? It seems to actually encourage it, but I appreciate a lot of what Mayor de Blasio is saying. The other thing is right-wing talk shows here in Wisconsin are already applying it to Foxconn. It's mostly what they're talking about some days. And I heard a terrible thing where one of the talk show hosts... Uh, read a story which was about Foxconn going away, and and uh, I thought I miss all the news because I, I hadn't listened to the news that day, and it was during like evening drive time or late afternoon drive time. And then he stops and goes, "I was lying. I took the names and changed them from an Amazon story, but he made the villains in the story. I don't know who they were in the original story. AOC and someone else, right? And there was about two leaders in particular." And uh, instead, he made the villains Mandela Barnes, lieutenant governor, and Gwen Moore, congresswoman, which is fascinating given that he, of course, chose to racialize it and make the two most prominent African-Americans he could think of be the cause of the beloved Foxconn leaving.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that it's really tough I, I Mayor De Blasio had an op-ed in the New York Times. I read it. I think some listeners might know that I worked for him um, in two different capacities: one in a mayoral office and one in City Hall as an assistant commissioner. But uh, I read it, and I think he's trying to thread a needle on economic policy. That like you can't thread this needle. You need to have ideological clarity about what we're talking about. And so I I, I think you know he's in a tough spot politically, but also just in terms of crafting policy you can't have it both ways you know and even in that one op-ed um you know he said well it's really terrible that you have companies that have so much money they could dangle all these jobs but let me tell you about some good like multi-billion dollar corporations let me tell you microsoft is so good they give a few hundred million dollars affordable housing in california like your head
0: wants to explode
1: yeah you can't have it both ways and i think um you know what's what's great about Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, is she has that moral clarity and can, can kind of show what that looks like in leadership. But when people have tweeted out, you know, at her, like, you know, do you think people are making too much of her role in killing the Amazon deal? Her reply is yes. I think it was the grassroots. And I think she's right, you know? So anyway, I think I think it's interesting um, that that deal is no longer going to be in, Amaz- in New York, but there's still... We still have this system. So. so we'll have
2: another bidding war for the second <laughs> Look, one unless they put it all in Alexandria, Virginia. This is,
0: folks, this is uh, real simple. Uh, the notion that it would be activists, AOC, or the left dominating and dictating anything in this current structure is absurd. It is exactly what Robert talked about. It is powerful special interests, wealth of uh, Amazon and a Bezos, and the idea that they are actually calling the shots and that they are the ones who are dictating this. That's the problem. And the arrogant
2: assumption, their part, the they should be taken as conquering heroes, and God forbid any part of the community should say any anything you know, anything against it. Right.
0: So shout out to, quite frankly, the the people in the community there that organized and and really had moral clarity on this. However, we have to wrap this up. It's been a great show. Again, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank our producer, Brian Wooldridge, who makes the show happen every week. If you listen to us on iTunes, please like us, uh, rate us, leave a comment. It actually helps the show spread and other people find us. So again, we hope to have you back next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin, and we'll see you next week.